have faith in God is not a stagnant state. It's a journey. As a believer, we should grow in our knowledge of God and His Word. Walk with Alan Cutting and many other believers as together we walk the believer's journey. Welcome to the Believer's Journey. It's so nice to have you back again this week. And this week, we have a very special guest. I have mentioned his name and talked about him so many times. And it's such a privilege to have Lon Ekdahl on this program this week. And we're going to have him again in two weeks. So we're going to talk about trusting and obeying God. And... um, Basically, it's going to be a pretty good conversation. I want to first thank everybody who supports our ministry, who watches our ministry, listens to it. And um, I want to encourage people to continue to um, comment comment on the videos, to like the videos if you like them. If you don't like them, you know, you don't have to do that. But you can go ahead and subscribe because I really, really do appreciate this. I want to thank you for all my sponsors, and um, from there, I think I'll go on. I want to say hi to Lon and let him say hi to you. Hello, everyone. Glad to be here. Glad to be talking with you. You're all looking good. <laughs> we brought Lon all the way from Oregon, so uh, this is a super privilege to have him here. And um, I haven't seen Lon in several years, but Lon was a... Um, well, kind of a delayed um, effect on my life, you know. And uh, so basically a lot of the good things that came of my life probably came from Lon to begin with. And then from there, you know, a lot more focusing on Jesus. And so uh, as I focused on Jesus, a lot of the words of Lon Ekdahl came into my life to kind of reinforce those things I, I learned about. Anyway, so I want to talk about Lon and his ministry. He's been preaching for about 60 years. And um, I met Lon when I was almost 16 years old. He came to pastor at the church I was at when I was 15. I was not a Christian. And so I really didn't know who he was because I didn't attend the church. I just attended the Sunday school because we were bribed to go on trips with our uh, youth pastor. His name was Herman. So we had a whole gang of us that would go to the church, and uh, I'm not sure Lon was aware of how awful we were. <laughs> I soon learned. <laughs> and um, so and if we ever have any stories come out of this, you know, he's probably got a good laugh here or two. But um, uh, Lon was really uh, instrumental in, in having me turn to Jesus uh, to make be Lord of my life. I... Um, I came to him because I was reading a little um, thing from the Navigators, I believe it is, or Nav Press, about the Beast, a little cartoon thing. And it, and as I'm listening to this um, album from Led Zeppelin, you know, I'm reading this. And the very end was this guy burning because um, he didn't have Jesus as his life, his Lord. And I got scared to death. And I called his Pastor Ekdahl. I need to see you. I spent almost two full days talking to him and so anyway i want to introduce you to lon and lon talk about yourself tell us something about you well when i go back to my teenage years i would have never dreamed that i would have been a pastor or preached for 60 years because i was such an introvert and also had a very poor self-image and so when god called me to preach i thought he he uh, missed up somehow but he validated his call in my life and so I committed myself to him. I told the Lord that I would follow him wherever he led me, but he would have to open all the doors because I was not going to push any doors open. And so he has opened doors for the last 60 years in marvelous ways, and we have enjoyed ministry in several different locations and seen some real miracles that God does. I used to think a long time ago that pastors, when they gave illustrations, somehow exaggerated but after seeing what God really does and experiencing his power in my life God you can't exaggerate what God does it's a real miracle and so I've been it's been exciting to he he gave me he led me to my wife and gave us four wonderful kids that are all in the church serving the Lord and 
I could never be any more thankful than I am today. So I praise him for everything that he's done. So when I was about 17 or so, um, I was 16 and a half, and I, I basically moved out of my mother's home, and I moved into my car temporarily. It was terrible. Um, I'm, it was like the wintertime or something where you would be cold, and I would turn on my car to heat up my car, and it got warm. I'd turn it off, and I'd go to sleep. I'd wake up cold and turn it on, and this happened through the night, several nights. And there was a couple in church, uh, Jim and Nancy Roberts, and I was down there at the altar praying and expressing my problem, and they took me in. It was really, really cool. And um, they kind of opened the door for me to understand um, what Christian life was about. I mean, I came from a broken home, uh, super dysfunctional. I mean, it was just super dysfunctional. (laughs) And... um, I mean, so it was so bad that Lana and I were talking the other day about this next door neighbor people we had, uh, the Cheryls. And every time they started coming to our church, and every time that Mr. Cheryl would see me, you know, he'd ask me about going to church. No, I'm not going to go to church, you know. And he'd ask me about Jesus or want to talk to me about Jesus. Just leave me alone. I would tell him, leave me. We're praying for you. Please don't pray for me. I I literally would tell him, do not pray for me. Because all these things were happening to me that were awful. Well, actually, I think it was God convicting me and doing things and putting roadblocks in my life to get my attention. So one day after Lon and I um, talked and I decided to turn to Jesus, I had to go back to the Cheryls and confess to them that I used to siphon gas out of their tank. And I only reason I did it is because I wanted them to stop praying for me, you know. And so I offered to pay them. They wouldn't take it. And it was really cool. But things like that happened a lot. Um, I remember in the church when I was a teenager, um, you became our our youth pastor in a way you were the senior pastor but you also led the youth Mm -hmm. during that period of time there were some truly miracles that happened Uh, I'm sure you can think of one or two would you like to share a couple of them well trying to think which ones to share (laughs) one particular Sunday we had a church mortgage that was due and uh, we really needed to have the money to pay it that week and I said to my church treasurer at the end of Sunday service, so how do we do? She said, not very good. We didn't make it. We're $500 short. And I said, well, just between you and me, let's not tell anybody. We could have gone to a couple of people in the church and asked them to help us. But I said, this is the Lord's church. Let's let him take care of it. And so she's, I said, let's just you and I pray about it. And the Lord's got till Tuesday. That was the deadline. And she said, are you serious? I said, yep. And so we decided we'd pray about it. Well, Monday he was kind of my day off, and I got up, and about 10 o'clock there was a knock on the door, and one of the ladies from our church was there, and she said, my son, who just got out of the Marines, just served his tour in Vietnam, came home. He's not a Christian at the time, and he'd come to church that Sunday morning. And on Monday morning he said to his, my, his mother, I'd like to give some money to the church. And rather than waiting until the next Sunday to give it, he gave it to his mom and said, take this up to the pastor. And so she gave me five $100 bills and said, this is from Craig. And that was exactly what we needed. Nancy, our treasurer, was a school teacher. I called the school and had them take her out of class. And I said, have you been praying for that money? And she says, all morning I've been praying. I said, well, you can stop. It's here. And then she, then she wouldn't believe me. So that was just one of the miracles. But the Lord really knew how to take care of us, and a lot of neat things happened like that. We had another situation that I remember because I was involved. Um, the teen group actually grew. We, got a, um, we started doing uh, singing. I played guitar. We had a, really, a girl that really sang great, and we started preaching at churches and then one time we got this I don't know if it was you or somebody says let's go to Arizona to an Indian reservation so we got this we had this bus big old bus and we went out to Kaibato Arizona you remember oh yeah 
So we had a bus problem. Go ahead and tell everybody. I want them to hear this. Oh, this is a long story. Well, you can make it a little short. On the way home, the bus, bus broke down just west of Indio. And uh, the temperatures that day got up to 120. And it was too hot to even stay on the bus. And we'd actually blown the engine. So all the teenagers were laying under the bus. And uh, we'd hitchhiked into where this gas station was and called home. And we had parents on the way to pick up the kids. And so uh, we finally got them all home. And we had the bus towed back to Indio and found out that it was super expensive to have the engine redone. And so we were trying to decide as a church what to do. And so there was a mechanic in our church that said, uh, let's just go out there and drop that engine, bring it back home, have it redone, and take it back out and put it in. So we decided to do that, and those three of us made our way to Indio. We got on the bus, and it was a a big bus. Uh, and so there was a, actually a center engine, so you could sit in the bus, in the middle of the bus, and take the top off the engine and take a look at it. And we decided when we started working on this project that this was really beyond us. We weren't going to be able to do it. So I said, well, I don't know what to do, but we need to really put it in the Lord's hands. So I called home Herman Rouse, our youth pastor. I said for him to get all the teenagers that were on the trip, bring them down to the church and have a prayer meeting and pray about this and then contact a local, uh, uh, what's the word I want? News? Uh, tow truck company. Oh and see what they would charge to go out and get our bus. And so he did, and there was actually a newspaper tr- article about our trip that he took in with him. And and so this guy from the tow company called him back a little bit and said, you know what, we have a driver that said he would donate his time, and we'll go out and get your bus and tow it back here. This is like 300 miles for nothing. And so one Sunday morning right after church, here came this tow truck bringing our bus home, and didn't cost us a penny. And that was just a real miracle that I never forgot. And I credit it to all these teenagers and their prayers that day. Pretty amazing. I have to tell you that um, I, after I lived with Jim and Nancy, uh, this couple took me in. Uh, I ended up moving out and moved back into my, into my car. And I think it was the first or second night. I don't know what it was. I was... Uh, I actually would stay in my car in front of my best friend's house. Now, I couldn't stay in the home. I don't think his mother would want me to do that. So I'd stay in the car. Then I'd go early to the school and take a shower. So that's how I kind of did that. Well, one morning, about 5 o'clock in the morning, I'm trying to sleep, and you came over and parked your car next to mine at 5 in the morning and started making these goofy noises. Okay, I don't know if you remember that. No, I don't. Goofy noise wakes me up, and so first question comes out of his mouth: "Are you up?" I well, I am now. <laughs> so you like to go to breakfast? I go well, I might as well. So we go to breakfast, and you had said to me, "I'm really hurt. You didn't come to me, you know, instead of sleeping in your car." And so you kind of took me in from there, and um, I never forget that the whole story, the whole situation, waking me up at five, <laughs> the whole thing. What was really cool about all of this is that I actually came into a home where I saw real Christian behavior, real family behavior. I didn't know what it was to have a father. I mean, I just really didn't know. Even when I was, before my father left my mom when I was nine, I mean, he was never there during the week. He was got up and left for work before I ever got up. And he came home after before I went to bed. So I really never saw my dad. So it's really, it was interesting. So, and my mom was never around. She was going to school or working or, or doing her own thing. So I never had anything that was, you know, concrete or substantial in as a home environment. So in watching you and Diana, okay, Diana is Lon's wife. Um, I would notice we have family meals, pray. In the evening, I watch... Diana go in with the kids and talk to them and share with them and pray with them. Then she would come out. Then Lon would go in. Now, I don't know if it was opposite, but you would do the same thing and you would talk to them and pray with them. And I thought, wow, this is really incredible. I just never saw this before. 
And I'm thinking of all the families, whether they are fatherless or have a problem in homes or they're not believers or even the ones that do, you have this kind of structure. But I watched your your life in your home for years after I moved out, after, you know, you have four of the most amazing kids I've ever known in my life. Of course, I haven't seen them in years, but, you know, to know that, you know, they serve the Lord and faithfully and, and uh, I mean, they're exceptional students. I mean, going to school, college and everything. And Diana is probably, I think, the most remarkable mother I have ever seen in my entire life. I've Amen. never, I've <laughs> never, ever told her that, but I know. And if you're watching Diana, you just, you need to know my heart, you are just the epitome of the most remarkable woman, mother. And um, I said, oh, bad, I've never told her that. Mm-hmm. I've told you lots of things. You know, we talk all the time. But, you know, when Diana answers the phone, you know, I, I do spend the time talking to her. I don't just say, hi, it's on there. No. <laughs> but incredible family. And I want my my I want you viewers to understand the kind of person that's in here today. He is a man of high integrity. He is a man who taught me and told me that honesty and integrity are probably the most important things you need to have. I my life, and I've said this many times for most of my years in the twenties and early thirties. It was really bad, and it's, it's, um, Lon had taught me a lot of things about life in Jesus, taught me a lot of things about trust in Jesus, taught me a lot of things about integrity and ministry and things. And it wasn't until I got older that it finally kicked in. And um, I mentioned this once on one show. I wasn't real specific, but I think what really hit me the most is I got in trouble one time. And I lied to Lon about what happened. And Lon took my side because he believed in me and went to bat for me. And when it was all said and done a few years later, I told him I lied to him. And not only did he get angry with me, I could see the hurt in him. And I think it affected me more than anything ever in my life. And because of that... It affected the rest of my life. I realized what it was to be honorable. I, w- I realized what it was to have integrity and what it meant uh, to be honest. And I, I've i never forgotten <laughs> the words you yelled at me about and the look on your face. And I think that uh, I've been in trouble after that. And I was totally honest. <laughs> it's like, you know, I'm going to get in trouble here, but i got to tell them the truth. It's like I had to. It was just part of what became of my life. And I owe that to you. And um, I'm not the only person that Lon is a, uh, obviously, if you've been in ministry for 60 years or more, uh, there's many people that you've affected in the same way, in the same manner. Uh, you just have I hope that. so. <laughs> I am sure of that. Uh, Lon is the kind of pastor that people remember. And he's the kind of guy that, uh, well, he's in the Church of the Nazarene at the time. And I know there are people that always felt, and probably even told him, I think you need to become a district superintendent. <laughs> and, and I remember people saying this. I think I remember people writing his name in to become a district superintendent. And Lon was like, no, no, I'm a pastor. I need to be with the people. Always that way. And I think that sometimes we get off kilter when we look at the, oh, I can they make a step up, but you lose, you lose that touch. I think some of the, the really cool things about you is that because you've been true to that, and you've been true, like in your book, To God Be the Glory, um, we got one for all the people in my class. And I had such feedback. By the way, Lon is an author. I think, you know, he's written a book called To God Be the Glory. And it's about Lon going to the different churches and how he went there, why he went there, and how God led him to and through the doors, even when he didn't want to go. 
and how God, how Elon was totally open to the Lord to say, hey, you know, if you want me to go here, I really don't want to do this, but whatever you do, if you show it to me, I'll go through it. And And one of the things that in each one of these churches that he went to before he went, he always, it was said to him, would you pray or why don't you pray? And he says, so we prayed. And that had more effect on the people in my class than anything. So we prayed about it. And I think that that's something that a lot of us, whether it's, you know, me or friends of mine or people I'm talking to now, missionaries I'm talking to, pastors. Many times I've known pastors to go to churches because they, oh, that's a great step up. But the, the key thing is prayer. Have you taken it to the Lord? Maybe he doesn't want you to go to the, to the next step. And I'm going to tell you that some of the churches that Lon went to were not better or the same in numbers or in Financials, they are potential as the one he was in, but they were less. And God blessed him amazingly, blessed him through it. And the miracles that he has lived through and experienced, and his wife and his children. And I think because of all this, is why he has such remarkable children, is because he saw Lon's faith, he saw the Lord work. And there's just no doubt in their mind, just like there's no doubt in my mind. I mean, it's like, how do you lose faith when you know? How do you lose faith when you actually see God work? So I wanted to express that to you so you actually know who Lon is. Since I've talked about him many times on my program, and I've talked about him in my class and to people, you have him here. And um, Lon, you went to Point Loma, Nazarene University. And, um, and then how many churches have you served in? Well... Six is a senior pastor, and one is an associate pastor in uh, pastoring senior adults. So, and you have, um, tell us about your kids. So you have three girls and one boy. Right. Okay. And tell us about them. They're tremendous. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what to say about them. They're they just really love the Lord. They all have their distinct personalities. But uh, it's interesting how through ministry, I've seen too many pastors lose their kids to the church and to God. And I determined that was not going to happen to me. So I actually involved them in ministry when, when I was pastor. When they were smaller, I would sometimes take them calling with me, especially when I was visiting with senior adults because my seniors either in a care home or in their own homes they love to talk back and forth with my kids and so sometimes they talk to my kids more than they did to me but involve the kids in the ministry itself so they weren't at home having me come home and bad mouthing the church they never heard that the church was always something that we loved and something that they participated in so all through their life, they've not just gone to church. They've been participants in church. And I think really that's what what did it. That was a positive impact in their life, and I'm thankful for that. Oh, and, and doing it all over again, I changed some things, but not very many. So um, I know you have one of your daughters. Uh, she's a pastor's wife. Yep. She married a youth pastor. Now he's actually the family pastor at the church that they are at. But, uh, yeah, she's a good pastor's wife. <laughs> and one just moved, moved to Mormonville. Yeah, St. George, Utah. <laughs> she'll, be my, she'll be my little missionary in Utah. <laughs> and you have two of them that live near you, uh, yeah, Mike and Gary. In Oregon. Yeah. yeah. So um, I just saw Gary just a few years ago. Yeah, Gary's a realtor now, sells homes, and he's high on the integrity list when it comes to being a realtor. If you use Gary, you can trust him. (laughs) (laughs) And how many grandchildren do you have? Twelve. Cheaper by the dozen. Now, here's something really, really unique. I... um in these books that you've written, why are you? Why did you start writing these books? Well, I never thought I'd write a book, and so people kept telling me that I needed to write about the experiences that I had in the various churches I pastored, some of the things that God did that were really outstanding. 
So the first book, uh, To God Be the Glory, is basically an autobiography of every church I pastored and things that happened there. So I wrote it basically just for family and friends. It wasn't written to be sold anywhere. And the second book, Do You Get It? I have this reputation of using stories and humor in my messages, and so I put a lot of those stories and the humor together and wrote the book, Do You Get It? And after telling the story or the joke, I have a scriptural application. I don't know if you believe that you can do scriptural applications to jokes, but it works. (laughs) And so I wrote that one, and uh, then I just finished one. I always had an idea of uh, writing a devotional book on the Gospel of John, because I love the Gospel of John. So I just finished a book entitled On the Trail with John the Apostle. I wrote it like a hike through the Gospel treated it as such and so I just finished that one and and I thought it was done but I just got an idea for what I'm working on now where I want to write about the simplicity of the gospel I just love the simplicity of the gospel and it's based on one of my favorite hymns in the hymnal trust and obey and the chorus says trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey And I just believe those two words, trust and obedience, are at the heart of our relationship with God. And they're so basic and they're so simple. And so I'm working on a book uh, about those things. Um, Now, when you were young, how old were you when you took your first pastorate? Oh, let's see. I was 23. Now, I know the church that I went where well, you came to that I went to was your second church third your no third? it was the second one second you're right church. yeah and uh i know that and i know this that in the ministry you know a lot of pastors don't make a lot of money i remember getting up at 2 in the morning delivering newspapers <laughs> yeah i remember that too <laughs> why'd uh, you do it we needed the income <laughs> needed to feed my family. And so running a newspaper route at 3 o'clock in the morning didn't infringe on the rest of my schedule, so it was perfect. Especially when you had a guy like Alan you could use. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the interesting thing is, and this is why I think it's so cool to, to talk to a pastor whose humility is so cool, so great. There's a lot of pastors today that's it's just all beneath them to do things. And so when I first came and talked to you. It was the first day. We talked from about 12.30 or 1 o'clock. You had me over for dinner that evening with your family, and I said, I need to talk to you more. Can I see you tomorrow? I don't know if you remember what you said to me. You said, sure, tomorrow's Saturday. I'm also the janitor. Sure, you have to clean some toilets. <laughs> <laughs> so I spent the day with you talking while, you were, while we were cleaning around the church and everything that day. So even as a pastor, you know, you were humble enough to do all the work it needed to be done to make sure the church functioned. And I think that was really cool. It's part of the job. <laughs> now, while you're going to Pasadena, you also worked uh, at a mission. Tell us about that. Well, I don't think it any longer exists. It's called the Soul Clinic. They had a radio program, television program, and and I was in charge of all their mailing. They did a mailer out at least once a month. And so I worked there while I was putting my way through college. I had to pay my my way through college, and so I, I worked at it. And where was this? In Skid, on Skid Row in the heart of Los Angeles. So it wasn't really the safest place to be. No. <laughs> no, some interesting experiences down there. Yeah. So, and um, just for... Everybody understand when Lon when I went off to college, I went to Point Loma University. I actually went out to Pasadena, which is the same school. Um, I was kind of dodging the Lord, and I, I had just just gotten that year before a seizure disorder. And so what happened was, um, I was visiting my mother. I didn't live with her at the time. I visited my mother. I was living staying with you and. And I got a phone call from Pasadena from a guy who says, I remember you wanted to go to Pasadena. We have a scholarship for you for $500. Oh, yeah, well, you know, I really didn't care. 
my mom's like, oh, you should go, you should go, I'll help you. Then I went to work. You should go, your job's already went home back to you and told you, oh, that's nice. <laughs> Didn't say anything else. <laughs> I thought, well, that's weird. Everybody else was excited. The next day, you, you, you take me, you go, you, me, and Randy Pangborn go down to Pasadena because you had to go to the, the district office. And he says, let's stop by the college. And he went and said, I have to talk to the registrar for a minute. And we're sitting out there. Do you remember all this? Vaguely. And the registrar comes out after 20 minutes or so. Where's Alan Cutting? I stand up. He puts out his hands, welcome. <laughs> no SAT, no ACT. I had a 1.95 GPA from high school. And I was like, I'm not coming here. <laughs> no, there's no way. And all of a sudden, you get the paperwork, and you're filling out, what's your Social Security? <laughs> and I was, in, I was in college. Total miracle on my end of it. Because I didn't, I didn't qualify to go to school, to go to college. And yet, several years later, I, you know, when my brain got a little clearer, I realized that lawn... He, he's the one that's behind all this. So I called you up and I said, did you do this? Well, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and so to you, I have a lot to be thankful for, not just in lifestyle and Jesus, but my education. And I totally appreciate that more than you know. Thank so, you. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then later on, you went back to get your master's degree. How long was mm -hmm. that? How long? How long ago? Oh wow! It was in the eighties. Yeah. So twenty years, about twenty years later, you went and got yeah. there. So yeah, I graduated with my master's the same day that my daughter, youngest daughter, graduated from the same college. So we both walked the aisle that day. That's cool. That's cool. And I followed you to Hawaii. We lived in Hawaii and went to the same church. And then um, you left. Then I left, and you came back to another church, and I came back, and so it was kind of interesting. I always wished I, I worked for you. I mean, that was my heart's desire. Well, you did. You cleaned toilets. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so as you said, you really trust and obey is a big thing. So that's our topic for today. So let's talk about trusting and obeying. Now, I looked up in the Webster's Dictionary, the word trust. And I, I saw this. It says, it's an assured reliance on the character, ability, strength, or truth of someone or something. Where someone has placed their confidence, it's being sure that something is certain or true. It's a dependence or reliance. Uh, in other words, hope. Now, it's a funny thing how we have Webster's definition, and then we have the original language. And I looked up the word um, in Hebrew, uh, Aman, A-M-A-N. It has a little apostrophe in the first A. And it says, to be certain, enduring, to trust and believe, which actually means it's derived from uh, um, faithfulness. Okay? So Old, Old Testament word trust is really cool, you know, about faithfulness and following and action. Uh, it's a verb mostly in the Old Testament. Now, the New Testament is a little different. You have a, both it in a noun and a verb. It's kind of hard to tell when you're reading one or the other. You have um, the noun, hapis is how you pronounce it. It's a confident expectation or a hope. So um, I have my, my trust, you know, that, that God will take care of me. It's my hope in Him, okay? It's, it's uh, hoping for the future, hoping for something. But it's, it's a noun. It's something you have. However, I think what we're going to talk about today is more of the verb, because there's an actual verb, and it drives from, it has the same, um, almost the same uh, way it's spelled, but it's, called, it's pronounced um, hapiz, okay? Uh, I'm sorry, hapizo. Okay, so you have that O on the end. It actually means to put our hope in. It's a confident expectation. Okay, it's faithfulness. It's an action. In fact, in some of the languages, and I know the the, the different um, uh, translations, you'll find the word trust in some, and in the same word in different different uh, translations, you'll have the word believe or believing which is, you know, has the word of faithfulness or action. So talk to us about 
trust and, and how you see trust and why is it so important to any believer? Well, I, I like to keep my theology simple. And I think trust is a simple word, but it, you can go a lot of directions with it. But when I think of it as a spiritual term, I think, well, first of all, trust is related closely to faith. And we both had a college professor that used to say, uh, faith is not something you have. Faith is something you do. So it's, it still has that idea of being a verb, something that you do. And, and when I think about trust, when I trust in God, trust in Jesus, trust in his words, I relate it a lot to my trust is in what Jesus had said. It's in his words. It's in the word of God. And I'm trusting in what he says to me. I, I think about the fact that, you know, Jesus, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is truth. In fact, when he stood before Pilate there in the, in the uh, 18th chapter of John, he said to Pilate, For this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And I think it's interesting how many times Jesus said to the disciples, Do you still have no faith, or oh ye of little faith? In other words, you still don't believe what I'm saying to you. You still don't believe my words. And so what I'm thinking about trust today, the simplicity of trust, it means that I take Jesus at his word. He said it. I believe it. And that settles it. I take Jesus at his word, every word that he's spoken, and I live my life accordingly. And it's, it's one thing to say I have trust. It's another thing to really live out that trust so that your life reflects the trust that you have in Jesus Christ. Okay. So, and actually, so trust, we can say, has a close tie and, and I guess, uh, idea of, of faith, which is an right. action verb which also has a close tie to believe, which is an action verb. Mm -hmm. And um, so to, I have this um, illustration that I always use uh, in, in my teaching. I'll say, you know, there, there, I think there's a big difference in the idea of trust that people will trust God, but it's almost like, they'll trust him when he comes around and does what he does because and I don't need to do anything because mm -hmm. he does it all he's got so there's no real action on my part because it's it's all about that people actually will get saved and then they'll say well you know I have this lifestyle I take drugs or I drink or I fool around or whatever it might be and their idea is that you know well why do you the question is why do you still do this well God hasn't healed me yet from this mm -hmm. And there's, there's no trusting. There's no putting your life in his hands mm -hmm. to make the change. And, and when we look at Romans 12, 1 and 2, it's all about transforming your mind mm -hmm. and your life. And it's us that need to do it, mm -hmm. not, not just him. It's our responsibility. And for, for Christians, I think that uh, we have a problem because of the culture that we live in. For instance, uh, every day we're bombarded either by radio or television with commercials that, that either lie to us or give us half-truths. Now, if the things that we buy through commercials actually did everything they say they're going to do, it would be unbelievable. We'd go, wow, but they don't. I mean, how many times have you gone to a county fair and you have those hawkers that are there in these tents that are selling something and they're demonstrating how well it works and I don't know about you, but there's times I bought stuff going, wow, I love that. And, and then I get it home, and it doesn't do what they claimed it would do. In fact, it usually doesn't do it. It's, it's just a half-truth. It's just a lie. And so we, live in a, we actually live in a culture where we're bombarded by lies constantly. Our world is lying to us every day. And Jesus is truth, and Satan is a liar, the Bible says. And so when I line up with truth and I trust in Jesus, that means that I'm going to live my life accordingly because I believe what he says because his, his words are truth. They're not half-truths. They're not lies. They're truth. You taught me something when I was uh, a kid. Um, something about truth and honesty. And you say, you know, it's there's a difference. You can... 
say the truth, maybe not the whole truth, but you haven't lied, but you haven't been honest. Yeah, I can think of an illustration there. Go ahead. When I was a teenager, I got into the wrong crowd. This was the, this was the eighth grade. I guess I wasn't quite a teenager yet. Anyway, myself and two other fellows, my age, that were not a good influence, we went over to this park, and there was a wreck hall over there, and we broke into it and uh, actually found some beer in there and drank some beer. And when I got home, my parents raised us so well that I felt guilty about it all, and I thought, if this ever comes out, you know, I'm really going to be in trouble. So what I'll do is I'll tell my mom the truth. And then if it ever comes out, I'll say, I, I told you. So I went to my mom. I said, Mom, guess what we did today? She said, what? Oh, me and Ricky, we broke into this park over there, and we, we stole some beer and drank it. Oh, she said, shut up. Don't talk like that. She wouldn't believe me. And so I went away thinking, okay, if it ever comes out, I'll tell her, I told you. <laughs> and so I told her the truth, but it wasn't, what was the other thing you said? It wasn't, it wasn't honest. It wasn't honest. <laughs> I made her believe something that really wasn't true. <laughs> yeah. I always remember, obviously, I'm 67 now, and when I was 18, I guess, is when you were telling me this. That's like a long time ago. Mm -hmm. I still remember that. <laughs> still remember that. And, and I think that uh, one of the things you used to talk a lot about, and you probably still do, is it's integrity. It's all about integrity. When you're going to be honest, you've got to have integrity. You're going to tell the truth. Mm -hmm. Tell it with integrity. Not Don't just give. And that's what Satan does. That's what the serpent did in the, in, with Adam and Eve. Mm -hmm. You know, Satan is, I mean, he's not an idiot. Well, he is because he rebelled against mm -hmm. God. But in a way that, you know, when he goes to deceive us, he gives us half-truths. So then the other part of the lie, you know, is there deceitful. So we And we're fed this, like you said, in commercials. We're fed this all over the place. We get this half-truth with the lie either not being told to us or it's kind of like watered down so that we hear the truth and we don't, and we participate in what isn't good and we end up doing the wrong thing because of the half lie that was part of that truth. Mm -hmm. there's, a, there's another point that I think we get messed up, and that's with our prayer requests. As a pastor, I've read a lot of prayer requests, and most often when we come to the Lord with a prayer request, it's because we need help in some area. We want God to do something for us or to give us something. And so when some crisis impacts our lives, pray that I'll be delivered from this crisis. And yet I believe that the ultimate prayer request is, Lord, be glorified in whatever happens to me. How are you going to use this for your glory? And, and teach me what I am to learn through this situation rather than get me out of this situation. Deliver me. No, Lord, be glorified in it. And, and I think that we don't think through our prayer request to where we realize that God wants to be glorified through everything that happens in our lives if we really will trust him. But if we're looking for self-satisfaction or self-deliverance or self-relief, we, we've missed the whole idea. We've missed the boat. Our eye is not on God's glory, but it's on our deliverance. And so I don't, I don't know. I think there's something there that we need to learn. I think through this pandemic that we've, our whole world has gone through in the last year and a half or so, um, a lot of times last year I was noticing people putting on Facebook or Twitter, things like that, calling for everybody, pray for our country that we become healed, that God will heal us, that pray for the pandemic to go mm -hmm. away, pray for, you know, so that we don't have a problem. And, which is back to where's God's glory in that? Mm -hmm. And I go back to the scripture, and I, I taught this several times last year. I would say, no, actually, the scripture says in Chronicles that if my if my people, mm -hmm. okay, not the world, my people seek my face, turn from their wicked way, you know, if they do that. In other words, we turn to God to glorify and live for Him. Then He'll heal our land. 
And I see all these Christians running around wanting the healing, wanting the healing, but they're not willing to, you know, mm-hmm. turn to Him and mm-hmm. become part of Him in, in the glory of Him. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's really true. So, and uh, I think, you know, a lot of this, we talk about the end times. I've gotten so many letters, so many writings about the end times now. I mean, questions you know, about the vaccine, questions about the pandemic, questions about the pestilence and and things like that. And I think a lot of this in our own minds, in our own hearts, and I want you to respond to this, you know, we're so keyed up on our protection. We're so keyed up on the bad things happening. So giving prayer requests for all these things that we're neglecting the very idea that we need to turn to him and make him Lord and, and work in this in our lives. That's why, you know, uh, tagging on to that, that's why I love Romans eight twenty eight, where Paul says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. You know, it's not, God's not interested in our purpose. We need to be interested in his purpose. And I think when we realize that we really love him, and our lives are dedicated to his purpose, that changes our prayer requests. That changes our whole outlook of of the whole thing. Uh, I shared an illustration last night uh, or yesterday afternoon while we were at lunch that I just thought of that I still think is really neat. I heard it from Leonard Sweet at a conference I attended, and he said, you know, really trusting the Lord is, is like riding on a tandem bicycle with Jesus on the front seat doing all the steering and me on the back seat doing all the pedaling or some of the pedaling and Jesus takes us up hills and down hills and around corners and over fields and we don't know where he's going to lead us but every once in a while he turns around and he just says keep pedaling keep pedaling and I think that's the kind of trust we need where we just trust him to guide us and lead us and take care of us and that all things work for good because he's in charge and we are dedicated to his purpose. And I, I love that illustration. Yeah, that was really nice. Really good. Actually, it's funny because I can picture that. Yeah, you, know, you really can. Pic- yeah. yeah, it's a vivid picture. There's a there's an illustration I use out of the scripture uh, in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. Jesus is talking and he says this. Come to me, all of you who, are la- who labor and are heavy laden. In other words, beaten mm-hmm. down weary and so forth and i will give you rest okay mm-hmm. and he goes on take my yoke upon you and learn from me for i am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest in your souls for your souls for my yoke is easy, easy and, my, and burden my burden is light yeah now so two things here number one the illustration that i give it's kind of interesting people talk about trust but they don't want to and trust their lives. They want to trust God's going to do something, but it's almost like separated. Mm-hmm. So my illustration is like this. Let's say you want to borrow my car. Sure, here's the key to my car. Go ahead. I'm trusting that you're not going to go plow it into some wall and, and crash my car. Okay? And I think a lot of people, that's how they, they look at God. They, they give them the keys, or they give them the bicycle, they give them the car. Okay, God, I trust that you're, you're going to do okay with my life. You're going to do okay with that thing I'm, I'm letting you do. But entrusting our lives in him is more like this. Here's my keys, Lord, but let me sit in shotgun with you. That way, I'm entrusting my life into his hands. Total different picture. And I think that that's where we're missing it. I think mm-hmm. that's where a lot of a lot of people in the churches or Christians or around the world, I think we, we just don't, we're missing that part of that, getting in. I was uh, taught, I don't know if it was you or Herman Rouse or somewhere, about trusting him is like going on the branch of a tree and climbing out because you needed to get something and trusting that God is going to keep you safe and keep you there and, and you'll honor him by whatever you're going out for, knowing that he's going to be there for you. And I think that's important. And part of this uh, verse here I read, we talk about yoke. You know, um, I was taught that a yoke in, is like the harness that goes around the oxen as they mm-hmm. do the furrows. Okay. However, I was also taught usually there's an older ox 
and a younger one. Okay, and usually the older one is teaching the younger one what to do. So I'm looking at the yoke as a guidance system. Will you buy that one? Mm-hmm. Okay. So Jesus says this, take my yoke. Okay, let's reword that. Take my guidance system upon you. Are you mm-hmm. still going to buy that? Yeah. Okay. So in other words, we need to allow Jesus to direct us, to guide us, to take our lives mm-hmm in his arms, in his guidance, to bring us along and learn from him. And I think we miss it. More That's times. where that verse comes in. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, him, and he will direct your guidance. His guidance system will direct your paths. Yeah. And, and you know, we were listening to um, Ken Freeman last night, um, and he said something, you know, if you want to get anywhere in life, if you really want to know who Jesus is, if you really want miracles to happen in your life, you really want to to move forward or, or be a witness or have Jesus work in your life, you need to be in the Word. Mm-hmm. You need to read your Word every day, all the time. You need to be part of it. Let it saturate it in your life. And I know there are many, 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 many Christians, many people who go to churches who right now are banking on the memes of Facebook. The cute little sayings that come across. Oh, that sounded so good. That sounded so nice. God has talked to me today. What do you think? (laughs) I think it's shallow. Uh, uh. And and where's the... the, um, the meat, where's God's word in all that? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not, most of the time it's not even scripture. Mm-hmm. You know? So, I, I like this. And there's a passage in 1 Timothy 4, 9-11 through 11, it says this. And this sits right where we were talking about. This is a faithful saying and a worthy of all acceptance. For to this end we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially to those who believe. Mm -hmm. And the word believe, obviously, is an active verb about Mm -hmm. acting on and following. Mm -hmm. Trust. Mm -hmm. I don't think that your life would be where it is Mm -hmm. or anywhere close to what it is Mm -hmm. if you didn't have the kind of trust and faith that you Mm -hmm. have had. can I wrap this up with a story? You got eight minutes. Oh, I got eight minutes. I, <laughs> Long time. I can expound <laughs> this true story, and it illustrates a lot of what we're talking about. This uh, man and his wife were attending church every Sunday. The man was an electrical engineer, but he had never committed his life to Christ. And finally, as he'd been going to this one church for some time, he had been become interested in the gospel through the sermons that he had been listening to. And so one Sunday as they were leaving church, he said to the pastor, can I make an appointment with you to see you in your office this week? And the pastor said, sure. And so they, they made an appointment. And it was late one afternoon that week, and he went to the pastor's office. and He said to the pastor, you know, I've been listening to your sermons on the gospel and what it means to accept Christ and all that. And, you know, being an electrical engineer and being involved in in all this technology, my problem with the gospel is it's too simple. For God to redeem mankind and do everything that he's claimed he would do for us, it's just, he makes it so simple, you make it so simple, and it's just got to be more complicated than that. Things are not that simple. And the pastor looked at this electrical engineer and said, you know, it's getting later in the afternoon. It's getting kind of dark in here. How, how, how do I get light in here? And the electrical engineer says, well, well, that's easy. You just flip the switch. He says, you be an electrical engineer. Tell me that all I got to do to flip the switch. You don't know that dams have to be built and dynamos created and wires strung from that dam, that facility of this town to this building before I can ever flip the switch. And the electrical engineer said, yes, but that's all been done. He said, so it is with the gospel. The dam was built against God's judgment. The dynamo was created in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the bridge was made, the gap was crossed through Christ Jesus coming to this earth and dying for our sins. And when it comes to 
the gospel and God's salvation, all I have to do is appropriate by faith. All I have to do is flip the switch, spiritually speaking. It's all been done. It's all been taken care of. And I just need to embrace it. And I just think that's just a neat story of how simple the gospel message really is. You know, I know through all the years I've known you, one of the things that comes easy for me is faith. Me too. I, 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 well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and watching you in your life, it's become easy. I mean, from the very, I was there. I was there when Nancy said, we mm-hmm. don't have enough money for the mortgage. Yep. I was there when Mary knocked on the door. I was there. I watched the miracles. And watching you in all this, and you're like, hey, it's God's church. <laughs> you know? I'm like, really? <laughs> I mean, you had this whole thing of, hey, well, you know, God's in control. And you really let this all out in trusting him. And in watching that, I mean, that's why I can understand your kids are amazing. Because all of their lives, they're watching you at the pivotal point of when people get stressed out. No, oh, no, what do I do? And you're at the point that says, no, 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 no. Let God take care of it. It's, it's his church. It's his life. It's his thing. It's what he does. And let's see what he does. His purpose. His mm-hmm. purpose. And let's watch and see what God does. And more times than not, bow, look what God did. Mm-hmm. I think it's amazing, Lon. I really do. Mm-hmm. And I think your example of faith and trust is bar none. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's one of the excitements of the Christian faith is trusting the Lord. I, I think there's such excitement in it. If anybody's bored with their relationship with Christ, then you, you need to turn things over to him because he's an exciting God. Well, yeah. So tell us, in, how, do, how do we jump into the, the mode, especially if you're fearful or if you're, you're, you don't know what it means to trust, tell us what we need to do to be in that mindset to, be, to entrust our lives, to trust him like that. Well, I think the key to it, it you know, it's all about relationship. Uh, it's not religion, it's relationship. And I think that to enhance any relationship takes communication, spending a lot of time with, uh, I know Alan almost as well as he knows himself. And we have a lot of years invested in our relationship. And to me, when you invest in your relationship with Jesus through the word, through prayer, through just a daily, I, to me, when Paul talks about praying without ceasing, I think that we live, at least I live every day in an atmosphere of prayer. I anticipate when I walk out the door every morning that God's going to do something unique. And, and I look for surprises during every, through every week for God to do something in somebody's life because I'm trying to follow his guidance. And so I think that... Uh, if you're having a problem with that, you need to enhance the relationship. You need to get more involved in the intimacy. You need to spend more time talking to the Lord and listening and reading his word and understanding what he loves, what he hates, uh, what he wants, what is, like we talked yesterday in the Saints School class, God, as he looks at this world today, his greatest concern, the thing that breaks the heart of God, are the people that don't know him yet, lost people. What's his plan to reach those people? Well, his plan is us. How does he want to do it? Well, he's laid out the plan. And to be involved in that plan is so exciting. I was talking yesterday about uh, going out to dinner with another couple and having the waiter take our order, then bringing the food. And when he brought the food, I said to him, you know, this great meal here, we're about to thank the Lord for this beautiful meal that you've set before us. And as we pray, is there anything we can pray for you about? And this waiter immediately dropped to his knees at our table and began to unload his soul, you know. And I think, wow, that was unique, you know. And I'm thinking, that's the way God operates. He, he sets these things up, but we'll just allow ourselves to be used. He doesn't want our ability. He wants our availability. And so we want to function in our lives according to his ability and not ours. And that's what gives us the power. I hope that helps. Oh, it's well said. Well, it's been an amazing time together. 
Uh, and we'll see you in two weeks, and you'll see Lon here in two weeks. So you have a wonderful day. You well, have really, one week, right? Because well, they're watching us this week. Every Wednesday. other week. Oh, every other week. Every okay. other week, yeah. I have an in-between. <laughs> okay. So Thank you. Thank, thank you. No problem. Everybody, you have a wonderful day, a wonderful week, and aloha. Alan Cutting and the Believer's Journey radio program seeks to teach the Word of God in a clear and practical manner. For more information, please visit the podcast page at am630theword.com.